We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello, and welcome to this episode 185 of the Moose and Moon podcast. Did I do that backwards again? I think I did that backwards. I've been mixing it up lately. Matt yeah, Rooney alongside like Joe it. Musso. You, uh, you do this 185 times. You need to mix hello, it up Hello, welcome to the Moose and Moon's podcast. This episode 185 of the pod. Joe Musso alongside Matt Rooney. Matt, first and foremost, how you doing? There it is. There, that was that was much better, but I still like the mix-up. I'm doing well. Um, things kind of keep keep to keep seeming, seeming to be the same here, but... Another week I get to talk to you. Another week I get to talk about sports. We have a little bit of a different Bears storyline to talk about this week. I'm not sure how much it means, but we'll get into that. Yeah, how about like, yourself? Um, yeah, yeah, we'll get into it. I'm good. We'll get into it. Uh, we've got a bit of a nor'eastern heading our way. I, so we're supposed to get like Is that just called that because you days? live in the northeast? Like, I don't I, think so. I don't think I think it's, it's something else. Because it's literally nor apostrophe east. Like, it's, it's, yeah, it's the northeast. It's, no, no, no. I believe it's the type of wind gust is a nor'eastern. Uh, the the etymology there, the root of that word, lost on me. Fair enough. I just know that it means yeah. it's about to dump here starting at like 4 p.m., 5 p.m. So, well, that sounds like uh, fun. Knocking out the pod here this morning. Got to get all the errands done. Do you have to do down, Do you have to do the shoveling or does the, does the complex you live in do the shoveling for you? Well, what's nice is our outdoor space. That's ours. We have a yeah. large patio area. Mm-hmm. So I've seen I'll you working likely, out on it, your videos. I'll likely have to shovel a, a bit of it out here. We have, a, we have an overhang, so there'll be an area that hopefully okay. doesn't get hit with snow unless it snows sideways. Um, which with the nor'easter, I mean, you never know. Um, but no, the actual the general areas around us that's uh, that's the city and that's the complex. Well, that's so not bad. Not, you just uh, gotta, yeah, it's not like you got a big, huge driveway uh, to go no, out no, and no, shovel. Just gotta and fire up the cocoa. Gotta fire up the cocoa. Get a good soft sweatshirt ready. Some mm-hmm. sweatpants. A couple blankets. You got a fireplace? Uh, do you not have a fireplace? Uh, we have a space heater. Have a space. Works. Pretty much same thing, you know. Same thing, um, but no. So uh, we're just hunkering down. Same thing. A little bit, little bit more of the same as these weeks pass on. But we uh, we approach college football championship weekend, which is a ton to be excited about. We're going to break that all down here. We are uh, looking forward to the holiday season uh, as it's amongst us or upon us. Uh, What'd you get me for Christmas? I got you nothing. I got you nothing, Matt. That's um, rude. You know, economically, I really just dialed it back. Bare minimum. No, that's not true because you, you never get me anything. Gifts. You never get me and anything. Else so it's not an economic rocks. thing. That's not nice. Uh, I get you golf balls when you win uh, locks of the week. When I three we piece locks of the week. Which we will also get to. Uh, Matt is going to be in need of a bit of a playoff push here. We've seen it before. We will likely see it again. But uh, another L on Matt's resume. Things are going the wrong way fast. I blame, I blame my pick being changed. Let's start with a W and the <laughs> Chicago Bears uh, pulling out a win. Scoring 30 points in the first half uh, against the Houston Texans. Matt, uh, I know this is a product of both uh, before I even ask you the question. Sure. But was this more a product of the Bears having found something productive offensively or the Houston Texans just being a bad football team? You hit it on the head there. It is a product of both. Um, I I do think since they've kind of made these offensive line changes and they got Rashawn Coward out of there and they they have Sam Mustafer and Alex Bars in there have been doing a pretty good job. Um, it's not a good offensive line, but it's not the 32nd best offensive line in the NFL anymore. Yeah. Um, and I, I just, it's a shame that it's taken this long for Matt Nagy to start calling plays and calling an offense that, you know, Mitch can run and succeed in. I, I know the Texans defense is bad, but 
they did a lot of things on Sunday that Mitch does well. They rolled him out. They kept things short. They let him throw to that first read a lot. They designed a lot of plays for that first read. They got the ball out quickly, and that's what he does well. And if he does that well, he has a spot in this league as you know a, a backup quarterback and a spot starter. And I think you saw that in today's game. But it, it's 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 just for me another example of frustration from of yeah. Matt Nagy not putting time not again not putting his players not coaching to strengths. Yeah, he he almost wants to win he'd rather lose trying to win his way than win not you know win winning anyway if that makes any sense yeah, he wants to having he to wants adapt. to win because he of what he did not way. because he wants to adapt which is the wildest yeah. thing to me in in football because everybody knows football especially in the NFL is about those adjustments is how you adapt and he just either can't or doesn't want to not just football in the NFL but leadership many times is about that adaptive life leadership. It's about that adaptability and being able to um, fit your skill set into the circumstance, but adapt outside of your own skill set and adopt things that are going to work. Um, What was most frustrating for me is to hear John DeFilippo, the uh, quarterback coach come out and say, yeah, this is what Mitch does best. Uh, So happy to see him succeeding. We feel like we got him out into some stuff, uh, you know, out of the pocket, little off schedule, and that's where he succeeds. Well, John, it's week 15. It, it, you've, it's taken a little long to figure that out. Not only did you sit the kid 3-0, uh, and o, but you brought him back and tried to, again, force a round peg into a square hole. And here we find success in week 14 when you finally let Mitch Trubisky do what Mitch Trubisky does. And that's fine. And I'm not going to get fired up about it because – it does not change no. the. Um, it does not change the solutions that are needed and the um, the conclusions that we've come to here on this podcast over the last fourteen weeks that Matt Nagy has done, Mitch Trubisky has done. Hopefully, this front office is done. This does not change those things. I hated seeing uh, the knee jerk reaction of how does this change your. How does this change your perception of Mitch Trubisky? What does this do for the contract negotiations between the Bears and Mitch? Nothing. It does nothing. It's over. You need to go get a quarterback. You need to, and I'd even pump the brakes on that. You need to build an offensive line. If Mm -hmm. they want to franchise tag Mitch Trubisky next year, I know that's going to cost you a lot of money. I think the tag next year is going to be around $32 million, something like that. Um, Good for Mitch Trubisky on a one-year thing, but franchising Mitch in order to build an offensive line and then go get a quarterback is something I would be fine with if it was explicitly explained to me that we need to, you know, we're not necessarily prepared to add a franchise quarterback. And that's tough to say when you're franchising a a guy who was supposed to be your franchise quarterback. But I I just don't think that the, um, it worries me the way that bears fans process and react to things sometimes and how quickly we are swayed from one side to the other. And I'll raise my hand and say that I was guilty of it with the Nick Nick Foles change. Mm -hmm. We saw what he did in the second half of Atlanta, bringing the team back. We thought that maybe this is a playoff team with the experience of Nick Foles. Yeah, it all makes sense in your mind, and you support that knee-jerk decision. But the more that these impulsive things continue to happen, and the more that Bears fans are spurned to react to those impulses – the less stable things get. And we need stability. We need offensive line stability. We need coaching stability. We need quarterback stability. We've had defensive stability over the last three years. And for what? For nothing. Yeah, and I I mean, 
that's why watching on Sunday was almost like I don't I I was very happy for Mitch, and I I will you know I'm I'm with you in the fact that obviously this doesn't change anything long term. I do think that if they decide you know next year on whether it's a franchise tag or he wants to come back on a one year deal, which I highly doubt it. That's not because happening. because they want I, I, again like I said that's, highly that doubt is it. that's that's Mitch Trubisky resigning his fate to Fair forever be a one year that's contract. Not, that's not the point. That's not the point Daniel. I'm getting to. Is Go on. I, I'm, I'm with you in that. Yeah. If they decide next year that, you know, they say they finish out eight and eight and they're picking 16th in the draft, they think, you know, with who they think is going to be left, there's a stud left tackle or an offensive lineman they really want to get and want to bring Mitch back and focus on bringing on building the offensive lineup for one more year. I can totally agree with that. But it's one game, it's against the Houston Texans, the worst team in the NFL. And it's just, it doesn't change anything for me long term. He beat up on a very bad defense, which he should. But in in the end, like that offense is still a little bit one dimensional because the Texans kind of I, I know they took the foot off the gas in the second half a little bit, but the Texans kind of adjusted to it in the second half, and then the Bears' offense kind of became stagnant again in the second half, only putting up the six points. Um, I like Mitch. I'm always going to root for him. I think he's a very good you know teammate. I think he's got a solid future as an NFL backup somewhere. It's just. He's not here. It's not going to work out. And as much as I wanted him to work out, as much as I like the guy, as much as I'm rooting for him, it's just not. It's it's not here long term. And no, it's, and uh, it's not his fault. He got picked behind Mahomes and water in front of Mahomes and Watson. But it's just he's always going to be tied to that, especially as long as he's here. So it's really just best for both parties. It, again, if you they want to tag him and hang out one more year, so they can build up other parts before addressing that position, because they think that's you know the best things that are going to be available to them this offseason, go for it. But Long term, it's best for both to sever the ties uh, sooner rather than later. Um, as I'm sitting here looking at my notes from Sunday, a couple of things that I just scribbled down. There were still the fingerprints of poor Matt Nagy oh, yeah. by calling all over. Oh, I was going to get. How that. does how does David Montgomery rip off an 80 yard run, his second touch from scrimmage, and then I think he Kid, touched great, it great six run, more times. Bench. Six more times after that, what? he had he had eleven carries. His first carry was one for eighty yards, and then just that was his first carry. Okay, yeah, so he had so ten, ten carries. Ten, ten, how does ten a guy rip more, off an eighty-yard run not finish with fifteen, twenty carries? Because it's Matt Nagy. Like he just, it's nothing he does on the offensive side, like play call. But just, none of it makes sense. Like none of it really has much rhythm or thought to it. And, and again, this just goes yeah. back to Matt Nagy wants to win his way not what might be what's best for the team. And like the last two weeks, David Montgomery has ripped off these really nice long runs. He's hit a hole. He's made a cut and he's gone. Like he's showed some of that breakaway speed that we've talked about on the podcast. That he hasn't really flashed. Now, obviously he's never been the fastest guy, but he throw, showed the ability to you know, rip off the 80 yard run and, and get your team in the red zone. And then after that, it's just, Nope. Okay. That's it. Good run. You're done. Your stats are up. It's going to make it, make it look like I, I ran you. You're done. Like I just, I will never understand the desire, it just not desire, but he just doesn't want to run the football, yeah. even with an offensive line. Now, like we were saying again, not a very good one, but one that's at least proven that they can run the ball a little bit. And it's probably rooted in not wanting to run the football, being a little pass happy and trying to get into this West Coast dink and duck stuff that, uh, truthfully, I love. But you have to have balance in your yeah. offense. And when you see a guy calling plays the way that Matt Nagy is, as you said, in a vacuum with no rhythm, no flow, the antithesis of that is offenses and offensive coordinators that have success. I watched 
every snap of the Alabama game over the weekend. Now it's it's SEC football. It's in it's college. It's against Arkansas. I get mm-hmm. it. But Nick Saban and Steve Sarkeesian and the people who make the decisions there at Alabama and call those plays, they love to do one thing in particular. And you'll see it this weekend in the SEC championship game. If something works to the right side, you're going to see that play in the next 10 plays to the left side and vice versa. They, they, that's how you develop rhythm. If mm-hmm. it's working, go to it. Compliment run with pass and then get back to the big shot that worked on the other side of the field. It's not rocket science. It's like if it's working, do it. If it's not, don't. Like yeah, it's, that, it's it like, boils down to something that simple. Not not trying to implement your vision, not trying to get the screen game working, not trying to um, make sure everyone thinks I'm a genius because of this pre-snap motion that uh, showed Mitch that it was um, zone coverage instead of man. Like, g- give me a freaking break and call good plays. All offenses, like you, like you, what it comes down to, like you're saying about Alabama, is they they all have a bread and butter that they're not afraid to go back to. That when times are down, they go back to. It's like Matt Nagy. One doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. Two, just kind of if they find something, he'd rather. So would you say he has bread no butter? Use that big old plate. Excuse me, what did you say? I didn't hear you. I was going to say, so would you say he has bread, no butter? I would say he has no bread. You got the bread, though, because the butter is what makes it go. He has nor bread or butter. I guess he's one of those restaurants that gives you neither. One of the cheap ones doesn't even bring out the bread basket. Would you like some bread for the table? It'll be six seventy five. Yeah, exactly. No, thanks. I'll just take a water. (laughs) Um, but it, he'd rather use call everything on that big play sheet instead yeah. of like, well, you know, this this concept on the outside, this, this hitching um, flag concept on the outside, whatever's working. Like, no, we're just we're I, we ran that already. We're, let's go. Let's try something. Like, it, it, he just has to keep yeah, trying the new scratching things. things off. He has to use the big play awesome. like play sheet. I just I don't get it. I, I don't. I, get I, it. Why don't you want to do what works? I, I know exactly what I think. I is it an ego thing? It. Not exactly. Not to pat myself in the own back. Matt Nagy wants everyone to think that Matt Nagy is a great football mind. And you don't do that by calling plays. You do that by succeeding. No, great football minds taking, are winners. Exactly. You do that by taking teams to Super Bowls. That's that's why you know Bill Walsh's <laughs> offense is renowned and revered as you know, changing the game of football, the way he called plays for the night. Well, the Niners went to how many straight Super Bowls? That's why it's yeah. revered, because it worked, not because the X's and O's were great. You know, like, find something that works, and people will start regarding you as a great football mind. Take a look at, and Bill Belichick is the greatest head coach of all time. He probably, he's the greatest head coach we've ever seen. All that best best person ever do it in the NFL. He has year after year defensive, you know, loss after defensive. Well, Grant, he's on the defensive side while not the offensive side. But they change and adjust to the personnel that they have every year, every game, every week because they, they had a lot of COVID losses, all that. They're still, with all those losses, they're, they're not going to make the playoffs now, but they're in the thick of a playoff race. So, like, he's not saying this is what we're doing all the time, no matter what. I don't care who's on my roster. He's taking a look at who he's got and saying, all right, well, this guy does this well, so we're going to run this coverage this week. And he, even on the offensive side, well, we got Cam, who can't really throw all that well, so we need to develop some different run game pack. Like, if Cam Newton was the, coach, was, uh, was the quarterback of the Bears, I think he'd be even more overexposed because Matt Nagy would be trying to shoehorn him into oh, his offense. Oh, 100%. Like, it's just, I don't understand the... Like, the 
I don't get, I just, I don't get it. I'm, my brain is almost broken by Matt Nagy and not in the way that it was angrily broken. I think last year, both for both of us, this is just, I'm still so confused by the inability, whether it's inability or just doesn't want to, um, of putting his players in the best position to succeed. And that's what the greatest football coaches do. They look at their roster and obviously they know how to call plays and all that, but they do what works for their players. Yeah. Not the other um, way around. We now find ourselves in that awkward scenario as Bears fans, one game under 500 on the in-the-hunt graphic uh, with a big matchup against a divisional foe in the Minnesota Vikings uh, coming up this week. And I'm not so much worried about what it's going to do to our uh, draft placement. I am worried about that. I am more worried about what this can do for the perception of Matt Nagy and Mitch Trubisky in Chicago. Um, Like I said, I have written both of them off. Uh, I know a lot of Bears fans who are ready to move on from those two people and and perhaps a general manager type scenario, clean house, reset, get things back, um, maybe try and build this thing from the ground up once again. It doesn't sound like fun, but it sounds like what has to happen. But it also sounds like there is an opportunity over these next few weeks for Matt Nagy and Mitch Trubisky to adjust the narrative. And I'm not too thrilled about that. I'm not too hip to the idea of them gaining a little bit of uh, mental real estate and Bears fans and in decision makers' heads here in Chicago because it's over. And it can't not be over, um, despite what happens against the Vikings or beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it has been a glowing failure. And uh, for them to cobble something together here late in the season and earn themselves a new lease on life feels wrong to me. It does sound like from what you hear around, whether it's been you know, reading, whether it kind of heard briefly chatted about around the newsroom, like it, it does kind of sound like the, that in that front office, the idea of going for a president of football operations, like a guy like that, that you know, maybe not, not relieving Ted Phillips of his duties, but more of a reassignment is more possible now than it has been in the past. And I, I don't think that, if they're thinking that two weeks ago after a loss to the Packers, I'm not sure a 36-7 win don't against one of the worst change. teams in football changes that. I, I, I don't think the, really anything is, outside of like – Oh, a divisional win over Minnesota no, I don't think build it, momentum in that direction. It might, but like – you know, I mean, it might in theory, but like say the unthinkable happens and this team does reel off three in a row and they go to the playoffs and then they get matched up against the Saints in the first round. They're going to get smoked. Yeah, but and then that my, like my would, would a, like here, if man. that team I feel like the team would the embarrassment on a playoff stage would kind of bring that right back down to where it was Fine, after Green Bay my, week. My point is that the McCaskies and ownership across the NFL, for that matter, they don't enjoy hiring and firing coaches. It's not some crazy power trip, and I'm not saying that they don't enjoy it because of the emotional toll it takes on them. They don't enjoy financial. it because they then have to make a financial and business decision. They have to make a decision for the future of the franchise again. Mm -hmm. A new name, a new group of individuals that they are then tied to, their success and the way that, you know, um, their fan base speaks of ownership and the team. They don't like having to, every four years, try again. What an owner wants to do is hire a a general manager, hire a head coach that's going to spend a decade with the team And not have to worry about it because then your work as an owner is sitting in the box smiling and waving when the cutaway comes to you in the third quarter. And that's a pretty damn easy job with the revenues that's coming in here in the NFL. 
So I don't think that they are going to be the quickest to pull the trigger because it's not something that's easy to do and make these decisions. And it's not something that ownership wants to do. Um, is it something that they have to do in Chicago right now? 100%. Mm-hmm. I, I still tend to th- I, I think you're right in that they don't want to always have to do that. But I think the Bears ownership has kind of become accustomed to it at this point. And I think when you see something so many times like they have in the past, there's no way to they, – they know what they're watching now, or at least I would like to hope they do. And maybe, while they might not be able to find the right guys to hire, hopefully they can bring in someone that does. But they've seen this movie enough times. I would like to think to know that this is, like we were saying, over. This is done. This has happened. And we've seen this movie before. There's really no coming back from this without major changes. Uh, I, had a, I had a great thought yesterday. It was just kind of sitting there. Do you, have, do you ever have thoughts that about aren't the, great? Yeah, I do. A ton of them. Oh, really? Um, I just don't share them. Okay. Here I'm sharing an absolute gem. Now, hear me out. Things go bad for the Bears. Fire everybody. Beautiful. Things go poorly for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers here coming down the stretch as well. Tom Tom Brady's unhappy with the uh, treatment in Tampa Bay. He's unhappy with the way he was coached in Tampa Bay. But, you know, we're in year whatever, 17, 8, 17, I believe, 18, something like that. Or year, has he played 20 years? God, played 20 uh, years. Uh, we're in year 20. We're going into year 21. Yeah, I think you're right. What, whatever it may be, Tom Brady's not going anywhere. He's not picking up and moving somewhere. He's going to say, hey, Glazer family, get this Arians guy out of town. And the second that Bruce Arians doesn't have a job, you atone for past John Fox sins and you go sign that man, buy him every Koopaline in the Kangalo Kangle catalog, and we win some Super Bowls in Chicago. I'd take Bruce Arians. I'd be thrilled with Bruce, you Bruce Arians. Are we in on it? I'm, I'm not as enthused about I, I just shouldn't say that. A lot of, I chips, would, I lot would, of chips have to fall. I would like Bruce Arians. <laughs> I'm not sure I would go and just immediately hand him everything he wants. I, would like to, I think I'd like to talk to, to some other people, but if he's a free agent, again, the, the, now – Here's also another thing with how badly it went last time he was in the building. Same people running the show, unless they do have a new president. Do you think he even wants to do that? Do you think he has any interest in being part of her? Because it would be a rebuild for the most part. You think he has any yeah. interest in doing that again? Because I kind of don't. don't. Know. Uh, that's the that's what, a, what, what are those hats called? I know you're a fashion guy. You said it. Uh, in Italian um, yeah, vernacular, right. it's a cupoline. Cupoline. Cupa, C-O-U-P-E is hat. Coupe. Okay. Oh, uh, I didn't know and that. And then you oh. add the... A lean, the, is the, that like small? Lean or leany is small. Yeah, okay. small hat. Okay, like, well, here's what. If if on, what's it, Black Monday or a couple weeks after uh-huh. that, if, whenever, if Bruce Arians gets hired... To be the head coach of the Chicago Bears, I will buy both of us. Uh, We're getting Koopalines. We're getting Beautiful. How about that? Bears, Koopalines for On the me. boys. Don't say I never uh, do anything nice for you. I like it. Um, wishful thinking, uh, and who knows if that's even the uh, probably not going to happen resolution here. But the uh, the thing that it, we'll talk about head coaching searches. Hopefully, we'll be able to talk about it all off season or for a portion of the off season. But. Um, Tying ourselves to an unproven coordinator somewhere again just doesn't seem like a whole bunch of fun. All right, I'm going to gauge your interest on something, and you're probably going to say no, but it's the name that always pops you up. You know now, me, then no. The, the <laughs> name that always pops up, or seemingly seemingly pops up every few years when there's this opening in NFL jobs, um, Pat Fitzgerald. No, no. Why? No. Can I know why? He's a college football coach. We've the only this. thing that leaves we have me seen this. 
He is a college football coach. You do not recruit NFL talent. I'm so sick of this lazy headline that everybody within 100 miles of Chicago has put in their publication. It's stupid. It's stupid to think, one, that Pat Fitzgerald's leaving Northwestern for anything. Well, Jim Phillips just left Northwestern. He is so proud of that program. He's not there because of an athletic director. He is so proud of that program, what he's built there, being able to make them an actual team that is respected in national circles. Now, the 20-and-a-half that Ohio State's lay into them this weekend (laughs) in Indianapolis does not necessarily mirror that sort of respect. But they will go out there and they'll do their best in try and taking that respect. They're the best defense Ohio State's facing this season, and they're going to try and prove that. And Pat's, Pat Fitzgerald is going to be at the front of that because he's rah-rah college guy. I don't care if he comes to Chicago. I don't care if he goes to Arizona. I don't care if he goes to Mars or the moon. If there's a football team to be coached there on the NFL level, it's not going to work. His his type of coaching, his brand of rally the boys isn't what works in the NFL. There's not a whole lot of rallying the boys by Bill Belichick. There's not a whole lot of rallying the boys uh, by Andy Reid. Now, they have their ways of getting the guys going and coaching, mm-hmm. but it is I am talking to you as a professional, and I don't know if Pat Fitzgerald will know how to talk to NFL players not as his contemporaries, not as his peers, like, or, excuse me, not as his students and athletes, but as his contemporaries and peers. I think that's a huge hurdle that college coaches sometimes struggle getting over. I think that's why you saw, you know, the obvious uh, reference to make here is Nick Saban's failures in, uh, in, in Miami for that time. Um, you've seen other coaches try and come up to the professional level and it not work. I think that Pat Fitzgerald is the perfect college football coach. He can recruit. He can whip the boosters. He can get you out there on Saturday when they're struggling to put people in the stands in Evanston. He can make a team that's not really, let's say, from a uh, skill set mm-hmm. standpoint, a power five. Um, not full of five stars. Mover, not full of five stars. Not a single five star on the roster, I don't believe. He can get the most out of them. But what can you do with a group of amazing super athletes in a room who are looking at you to set the tone? I don't know if that's Pat Fitzgerald's strong suit. I don't either, but the only thing that – and I was – before – I would say I think it was when they hired LaFleur, like two years ago. Before before the Packers hired Matt LaFleur, they had offered the job to to Pat Fitzgerald. And that – I don't know if it's because the Packers own real estate in my head or whatnot – but the fact that the Green Bay Packers had sat down with him, done their due diligence, and, and could, by all means explored all of those questions that you asked and engaged whether or not they thought he could and came to the conclusion that they did leads me to be at least intrigued yeah, but, by the idea. No, let, I'm with you. I don't think don't he's ever results, leaving. Don't let results blind your assessment of a situation. Are the, is the Packers front office really the glowing example of decision makers that you want to follow in the footsteps? In terms right of hiring now? head coach and in terms of personnel and drafting, no. In terms of you're, getting staffs right, in terms of getting coaches right, they've done a pretty darn good job of that. You're, you're disillusioned by one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever put on a helmet. That That's true. They franchise, have that, that franchise, for the better part of a decade and a half now, has succeeded because of one person. And I understand it's a team game. None of it works without Aaron Rodgers. 
Aaron Rodgers is checking to his own plays this year and seeing crazy success. He's even getting a chance to call some plays in the huddle this year and seeing crazy success. Give Matt LaFleur all the credit in the world that you want to. This is Aaron Rodgers' success. I don't care who's the president. I don't care who's the general manager. I don't care who's the head of football operations. What those people have done is failed to give Aaron Rodgers a compliment offensively and he's still succeeded with the one all pro that he has on his offense in Devontae Adams. Don't let the results blind you to, again, questionable decision making. Green Bay's getting away with things. My point here is if they showed interest in Pat Fitzgerald, it doesn't mean he's the second coming of Vince Lombardi. I'm not saying it means he's the second coming. I was just thinking, I would, I, that made me take him more seriously as an NFL coach head candidate than I did in the past, because in the past I was in the, the, school of thought of you were that no he's he's a great college coach and that's kind of it um but again i, I don't no, think it's not think a, it's not a, and that's kind of it it's a and that's what it is it's not i'm not I slighting mean, kind of i'm not no i didn't i know i didn't mean to say slighting, I, i'm not that wasn't meant to be a pat slighted fitzgerald. Pat fitzgerald. That, i'm not, not slighting pat fitzgerald and saying on the coaching ladder i didn't mean to I, say i think that. I think it's two com- like completely. That. I think it's two completely different coaching ladders: the college and the pro football ladders. Pat Fitzgerald has made a quite meteoric rise and uh, an unproven when it started rise mm-hmm. to almost the top of the coaching ladder. There's only a few jobs in college football that would that you'd consider above Northwestern's on the coaching ladder tops of Mm -hmm. each one of these conferences. So a handful of jobs Mm -hmm. that Pat Fitzgerald perhaps um, taking the Alabama job or the Ohio State job to say, I have made it to the top of the college coaching ladder. But I don't see the Cleveland Browns job as a rung up from Alabama on the coaching ladder. I see it as a completely different coaching ladder because it requires a completely different set of coaching skills. I think you said it well. Is that a is that a complete answer as to why I Joe? I don't I, think I might explode if Joe, the Bears hire Pat Fitzgerald. I don't think I've ever asked you a question that you haven't really given me a pretty complete answer on, especially on this podcast. You you use, you're very you know well thought out. You're very thorough in your answers, and I respect that. Well, let's get thorough about some college football. Yeah, I was going to say we're talking we college. Sort of, let's just uh, go to college. Dipped our toes in the college football playoff. The the. Rankings are released again on Tuesday night. No changes, one through five. It goes uh, Bama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State, uh, Texas A&M. The sixth spot now occupied by Iowa State after Florida takes that you know crazy slide from six to seven after being a double-digit favorite and losing. I'm glad you're, you sound boot angry them about that, of, too. Boot them down to number 10. And I get it. They beat Georgia, and Georgia's sitting at eight. So how can you drop them below Georgia? Kick everyone out. Georgia's Pick only sitting at eight. Don't get me wrong. I'm usually one of those. It's like the SEC deserves the benefit of the doubt. But nah, Georgia's two losses are getting SEC smoked. Bias. Georgia's only number eight because the committee wants them at number eight because there's they a want ridiculous the SEC bias and like, there's a, a lack of respect for an Indiana team that's busted their ass a big 12 the bias here too with Iowa State Iowa State's mm-hmm. eight and two number six number 19 Louisiana uh, Lafayette beat them by 17 points at home to start the year the good thing here is Matt that it likely will not matter no um, but I just for the, the only you, the only way it matters the only way it matters here is if Notre Dame beats Clemson uh, we got Phil Goff uh, waiting in the wings here we're gonna do a little segment with Phil about the uh, Clemson Notre Dame rematch coming for the ACC title game part D. um but uh, completely lost my train of thought there it's and okay. where I was going uh, it's just uh, maybe I'll, I'll talk and maybe it'll spark whatever you're gonna say I just 
I love the college football playoff, and I would like it to be expanded to six or eight mm-hmm. teams at some point down the line. And don't get me wrong, I, I like I said, I am of the belief that the SEC usually deserves the benefit of the doubt, and these teams do deserve the benefit of the doubt. But teams like Florida, who really, I don't think do deserve it for the most part because they haven't proven it yet. Like they, they just keep get like you lost by you were twenty four point favorite at home to a three and six, four and six LSU team and you drop a spot. Eight no Cincinnati is sitting right there. I know they haven't really it's, played anybody great, but they've print pretty dominant in beating bad teams. Coastal Carolina, I know it's the transitive property here, beat Louisiana beat Louisiana Lafayette, who killed Ohio Iowa State, who's number six. Like they're the only 11-0 team in the country. You got seven and two Oklahoma behind them. Like who is Oklahoma beat this year? Indiana. Their one loss is on the road by seven points to your number four team in the country. Their number eleven. Are you kidding me? Like, yeah, it's uh, just because it's your name making, is it's Georgia not a ton of sense and you're having these six, big national signing days doesn't mean that you deserve to be number six. Maybe you might be a better 15, team, but you need to prove it 15. on the schedule too. 6 through 15, there could be some shifting to be done. But also 6 through 15 is where you see the committee setting themselves up to put forth an entertaining New Year 6. Um, that's what they need to be worried about here is not just the semifinals, but making sure that they have the best product on the field possible. And I think this year, because of the um, – you know, because of them going strictly off the eye test, they can get away with some things that they couldn't in past years. So let's leave Florida right there and get, you know, a Heisman hopeful and a great target and a great uh, Florida offense on New Year's Day in a big bowl. There's a lot of that going on right now. But let's focus on the top half of things here. Let's focus on, um, you know, the scenarios, how they could unfold. Alabama could lose to Florida on Saturday, and they're, they're still in the college football playoff. They're not, unless they lose by 40 to Florida, they are not getting bumped from the college football playoff. Notre Dame-Clemson is the linchpin that determines pretty much everything from that point on. Mm-hmm. Um, if Notre Dame beats Clemson, do you see Clemson in still with two losses? Do you see them saying, I test-wise, well, yeah, gotta. I- I they think, put them in as four, they let them play Bama, let them get their break speed off, and Notre Dame then plays Ohio State. Because as much as I'm uh, rooting for the Purple yeah, Wave here, not I, I, I don't know how, how good of a chance the Cats have against Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game. Ohio State wins that game. They hold the four spot. Um, if Notre Dame, So if Notre Dame wins, uh, then Clemson would drop to four, Ohio State would bump to three. If Notre Dame loses, Clemson would likely jump to what? I think, and we'll, put, we'll, or, or Notre we'll get Dame in. Drops, Notre, Notre Dame drops to four. They play Bama, and it's Clemson two. No matter what, I don't Ohio think we're State seeing three. Notre. I don't think we're seeing Notre Dame Clemson two and three in the semifinal again because they, won't not, they, they don't want to. As much as part three would be cool, I think awesome. they would rather have that by off chance happen in a national championship game instead of having yeah. again you know back to back. I, think I really what think this, the only what I'm getting at here, Matt. Sorry to cut you off. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll finish your what thought. What I'm getting at here is I think the only way that anyone beyond four gets into this playoff is blowout. two ways: a blowout or Ohio State loses to Northwestern. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think there's three teams that have punched their ticket already. I I agree, and I think uh, I think the Florida you know Florida losing at home to a terrible team, only dropping one spot, kind of set the precedent for that. Like. Even if Notre Dame, say Clemson comes out like world beaters, they play really well. Notre Dame doesn't. Clemson wins that game thirty-four to seventeen. Well, are you really going to 
boot out Notre Dame after like after no because they still have the they still have the win of the they have a better win than anybody on that win in that ranking they have the best win of anybody in the country they're the only team in the nation this year to beat the number one team the then number one team in the nation I so I I think the only teams that have a chance are four and five I I think Texas A and M they have to go in and I, I could see Clemson falling out if. Notre Dame goes and you know wins by two touchdowns, and A and M goes and beats Tennessee by forty. You know if if A and M really yeah. makes a big statement game because they they've played well. Obviously, they beat Florida. They didn't beat. Uh, they got kind of handled by Alabama, but not many of their wins this year have been those big blowout. You know, running away. If they go out and have a forty point dominant effort against Tennessee and Clemson loses by a couple touchdowns, I think that probably is the switch you see. But on that, like mm-hmm. with Florida dropping a spot, again, it's just the precedent's kind of being set. They're setting themselves up for Clemson losing. If Clemson were to lose a you know nail-biter against Notre Dame, Clemson's going to be a four seed, and you're going to see Bama Clemson in the semifinal. I, I'm very, very convinced of that, and I think A&M's path is they either have to see Clemson lose by a lot and win by a lot or pray to God that you know Fitz orchestrates a massive upset. Yeah, I'm really um, I'm thrilled for any sort of uh, iteration of those four teams going up against each other in the college football playoff because it is the eye test this year, and objectively, those are your top four teams. Yeah. And barring something crazy happening this weekend, um, hopefully we will get to see that in action uh, on New Year's Day and beyond. But, uh, Matt, there are a bunch of games this weekend. It's championship weekend. Uh, we got all the conference championships and then some Big Ten teams have found dance partners just to play some football. Love it. Uh, offer another data point, as has A&M uh, playing Tennessee uh, a bunch there. We'll get into that in a little bit. That's a tease towards locks. Uh, but let's let's dive into it here with Phil Goff, uh, break down this Notre Dame-Clemson Part 2 matchup a little closer. It was a, it was a, it was a good interview with Phil, and it was a weirdly different tone than the last time we had this Notre Dame-Clemson matchup just five weeks ago. How about it? Phil Goff? Here come the Irish of Notre Dame. All right, welcome back one more time, I think, for this year. Maybe maybe not the last time, hopefully not the last time. Uh, our, our Notre Dame guy, are we calling you an insider, Phil? Phil Goff, you an insider? What do you want to, what, what are we calling? Sure. Sure, inside I, can ins- I can be what do you insider. Put, do you think that insider title is better? Insider, columnist, reporter? What do you like? I think insider sounds the most like. Insider, yeah, it sounds the most legit. Mysterious. Also, like, what does he True. know? He's on the inside. Yeah, okay, I like that. He's our insider. I don't even, I, I don't even know what I don't know, so. Fair enough. For the, for the second time this year, though, we are going to preview a, uh, a Notre Dame-Clemson matchup. And I do want to start this interview the same way I did last time. Kind of put you on notice. Um, you're, you're knock on wood here. Uh, we, we haven't lost a big game once we've had you on for one of these interviews. And, you know, if, if that happens, we might have to reconsider our, our affiliation with the insider Phil Goff. Seriously. I mean, our streak right now is, is pretty unprecedented. Um, and also just every big game that I haven't been on, Notre Dame has lost. Yeah, I mean, the one we didn't have you on, we didn't have you on for the playoff, I believe. They got smoked. We didn't have you on for Michigan last year. They got smoked. Like, I'm – like, I don't really believe it, but I kind of do. Like, I, I, I kind of think you you might be the good luck charm. I mean, Rooney, I feel like you're a big, like, same spot on the couch, oh, gets geez. an extra touchdown type of guy. Absolutely. Or, like, not, I'm going to go, I'm gonna go like, wins or loses the game. 
or like, I'm going to go change my shirt because that's going to make the difference. Mm-hmm. And like, I still do that. And even my, my, my dad is a, I'm sure he, he'll listen to this, but he is the most stereotypical fan where he'll, if someone goes in the basement and Notre Dame scores a touchdown, I'll tell them to stay, stay down, down there. there. Don't, don't, don't come back up. You're <laughs> I mean, gonna go, I mean whole every, everyone, way everyone it's a, it's a full, it's a full family effort when it comes to wins. So. Oh, I think it was like three. It was, no, it was more than that. It was like seven years ago when they were going to the, the BCS game, that, that USC game where they had to win out. I was watching it at, you know, my, my brother Tim's apartment at the time. Um, and Mike was there and one of their buddies as well. Like one was in the other room when Notre Dame scored a touchdown and like, guy just stayed in the other room for like a good quarter not watching the game because Notre Dame scored while he was in the bathroom like it's what you got to do it's what it's your (laughs) role in bringing home a national championship for sure Uh, but let's with that we've got our good luck cover let's talk about the game here Um, obviously it's a rematch we've seen this before Um, not exactly the same with with Trevor Lawrence coming back and and DJ Uyungle I have now become an expert at pronouncing his name Um, starting the last one Trevor Lawrence is back here I know you're not much of a, a gambling guy, but the line came out earlier this week. It is it was seven and a half. Clemson was the was seven, sorry, Clemson was a seven and a half point favorite in the first game. They're a ten and a half point favorite now. Is there a reason? Is there something I'm missing that Clemson is favored by two scores, double digits against a team that beat them? Granted, without a quarterback and, and middle linebacker earlier this season, just five weeks ago. Um, I think 10 is a bit of a 10 and a half is a bit of a steep spread. Um, I think people are going to see this as uh, potentially that it's just really hard to beat a team the second time around. Um, it's also really hard to beat a team the second time around with, you know, one of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the one thing that I've, I've thought about the uh, last week is how close was that game last time? Um, because when you look at it, it wasn't a game where everything went Notre Dame's way kind of really at all. Um, they definitely had some, some breaks, um, but they also left two touchdowns on the board in the first half with oh, for um, three in the red zone. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Mayer had uh, a penalty and a drop touchdown, a penalty on the one yard line, which Kyron Williams is walking into the end zone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, could have gotten 14 there, but settled for six. And then later in the game, Ian book fumbles in the end zone. So they're leaving, what is that? 15 points on the board yeah. um, kind of right away. And they, you know, it, it, that could have been a, a blowout. And so what I try to think about is does Trevor Lawrence and some of the defenders they get back make up that delta? Like how much is Trevor Lawrence worth? Because without Trevor Lawrence, Notre Dame, yeah, one by one touchdown double overtime. But if they had taken care of business, it would have been a comfortable, you know, 14, I think a 14 point win, maybe potentially even 17 point win. Um, but, but that's not how it went. And I think you have to think about does Trevor Lawrence give you two touchdowns? Um, and I think he gives you about 10 points, which for me brings this game into anywhere of like a, you know, four to six point spread over that 10 and a half point spread. Yeah. I, I, you obviously brought up Lawrence and being one of the best quarterbacks in college history, and he does give them more than, than DJ did, but I mean, what more does he give them? I, I know he probably gives them a little bit more in terms of making some reads and maybe a little bit more on his feet, but it's not like Clemson threw out, you know, Ian Book, the, you know, the, the Ian Book that started his first game at North Carolina like three years ago. They threw out a true freshman five-star receiver who threw for 420 yards – I'm sorry, five-star quarterback who threw for 420 yards against, by all means, top defense in, in college football. Yeah, I think what we'll see from, from Clemson is just a lot more balance um, because it was clear that Clark Lee um, 
was when the game plan of we'll get into we're him. going to load the box, we're going to stop ETN, and we're going to make Uangalele um, beat us. Uh, he almost did it, but I think they'll they'll be a more balanced attack from both sides. Where Notre Dame's not going to be, you know, as aggressive, completely stacking the box because that's not a recipe to defeat Trevor Lawrence. But I also think as a result of that, Clemson will be more balanced, and I think you'll see more more quarterback runs and RPOs from Lawrence, which he is definitely dangerous when it comes to that and brings mm-hmm. a little bit more element where I think not against Virginia tech a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And so DJ, I mean, DJ has a, a bigger arm, but I think obviously um, Lawrence just has a little bit more of a live and accurate arm. So um, I'm, I'm really curious to see what Notre Dame does because before it was clear, we're going to put um, uh, uh, Jeremiah Usu Karamoa in the box. We're going to have Kyle Hamilton playing low. Um, to, to kind of have those run fits if, if something does squeak through. And so it'll be interesting. I think they'll, they'll keep a similar, similar spot with um, Jeremiah Wusu-Karamoa, but I, I think we'll see more of Hamilton over the top, specifically to account for Lawrence and hopefully not get beat deep. Because last time there were massive chunk plays yeah. um, by Clemson, which, struggled. which could take the sales out of Notre Dame uh, this week. But I think... Clark Lee, you know, I trust him more than I trust myself, um, which well, isn't saying, saying a lot, much. but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he, I think he'll put Hamilton over the top and as opposed to have him be really aggressive in the run fits, trust the linebackers, trust JOK, trust the D lineman's fits to ensure that um, Lawrence is going to be um, at least, you know, has to really think about putting things over the top with, with Hamilton sitting up top there. Yeah. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll get to Clark Lee and a little bit more later in the interview, unfortunately. Um, but for, for the most part, I, I think you're right. I think we kind of know what we're going to get from the defense and I trust that game plan. I trust what they're going to put together and, and whether or not Clemson puts up a lot of points, I trust Notre Dame's defense is going to give them a chance to win. Um, what I want to do now is talk about the offense. And five weeks ago, you and I were chatting right before I pressed record on the interview. Um, we were talking about a lot of the unknowns on the offense. We we're talking about a lot of the questions at quarterback with Ian Book. Can he win the big game? What, who is going to step up in the wide receiving core? They hadn't really had anybody do that. It, a lot of questions were answered against Clemson and in the you know, games following that, the four or five games, however many it was. Um, talk about some of those guys that have stepped up. Your, your Javon McKinley's Ben Skoranek. Uh, Jeez, I always struggle with that name. Um, what have they done the last couple of weeks or how have they been used that have kind of you know, showcase them and, and allow them to kind of break out the way they have, especially McKinley with the, the three touchdowns. Um, who was it against uh, Syracuse? Yeah. So, I mean, you named the, you know, two of the guys, uh, Javon McKinley and Bennett Skoranek have very much stepped Is technically up. Technically Bennett? I think it's technically Bennett, but oh. I'm going to call him, I'll call him Ben in case I apologize if I mess that up. But, you know, <laughs> Ben Skoranek and Javon McKinley are, um, you know, they're big bodies. And I think they initially were, were both just not, not too confident to start the year, for being honest. They um, were making plays when the, they were open, but they weren't necessarily making contested catches. Um, they weren't showing to be that explosive after the, call, after the play. And I think Skronik was battling hamstring injuries, so it's clear that he got healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and McKinley, it was just a confidence thing. This is his first year being a go-to guy. And he even started the year slow. But if you look at his last four or five games, he's averaging nearly a hundred yards and five plus catches a game. And so they've just developed chemistry with book. It's, it's as simple as that where, you know, this is a new season that didn't have spring. It, it took a lot longer than people thought, but they've turned into very reliable, big body threats who are also, you know, have shown that they can win 
contested catches. And also, you know, Skronik took a, took a handoff for a touchdown. He took an end around for a touchdown. McKinley Sneaky took a screen 45, 50 yards. So they're guys who get the ball and get upfield quickly and also have, I think have Skronik has always had really good body position around the ball, but um, McKinley has really developed that where he's using his size, using his length, using his body position um, to win a lot of contested catches, which Ian Book has always had that in his career. Um, he's had uh, Miles Boykin. He's had his Chase Claypool. And for the first four or five games this year, he didn't have that. And so having those guys who he can trust to not just throw up a prayer, but throw a, a good back shoulder throw or lead them downfield, you know, when they have man-to-man safety, man-to-man coverage on a corner, and they know that they're going to get good body position. So it was a combination of those guys developing that chemistry with Book but also book taking the next step in his confidence. He's so much more decisive in his reads. Um, He's so much more fluid in the pocket um, where before his happy feet in the pocket were always a sign of distress. And now it's, if this makes sense, he's a little bit more decisive in his happy feet where he's using them to navigate around the pocket while still keeping his eyes downfield where I felt like, you know, in times last year, in the beginning of this year, he was getting happy feet, but not navigating around the pocket, getting happy feet and then just trying to take off. And so he was, you know, a masterclass against North Carolina and against Clemson um, and even against Boston College of taking his time in the pocket, but being extremely nimble on his feet and not taking big sacks. And so the combination of those things, as well as the kind of reintegration of a of two big body receivers has just helped his confidence. And I think the throw that Ian Book, again, there could be some more for the rest of the year, but the throw that's going to define Ian Book's career is that, you know, Avery first or Davis. second down throw to Avery Davis. I think what a big thing that so many of us had, you know, questioned about Book is when is he going to make a just rip throw? It's not a throw up where a receiver makes a good play. It's not a just a bomb that someone was wide open and it was against a terrible defense. But in a big moment, can he step up, avoid some pressure, reestablish his feet in the pocket and deliver on a strike? And I think I probably sent you, I can't stop thinking about that throw to Avery Davis, probably every yeah, no, day I get that about, about a once, week or two I straight. get that still about once a week from you. Yeah. I still think he's not going to make it. It's, it's, it's something where, you know, maybe it was a mental block, but for him to avoid the pressure, step up in the pocket. Since that throw. He had, since, since, again, he played great that game, but that throw was so decisive. And I think his then kind of just – been with him if that makes sense or his confidence is is through the roof and he's delivered in this game and so I think he can go into this game knowing that he can and should be confident and then also he has he has some weapons too that can hopefully play a role outside of McKinley and Skoranek you know with guys like Mayer um guys like Kyron Williams who's a thousand yard rusher Chris Tyree who had a 94 yard touchdown the other week even you know potentially and 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 I'm not going to make any you know remarks of how many touches he's going to get, but the potential to get a healthy Braden Lindsay, you know, one or two touches or even just run him deep on a go route to run people off. I think this is going to be the, the healthiest Notre, the healthiest and best position Notre Dame's skill players are going to be heading into a game because obviously there's some gaps on the O-line, That's but from a skill position perspective, yeah, the skill position perspective, they're ready to go. Um, yeah. and, and I think they're, they're going to step up to this challenge and, and, 
I don't think, I think Notre Dame will be able to put up points. I'll, I'll yeah. leave it at that. You, you, you kind of answered the Ian book question before I can even ask it, but I, you know, I was going to ask you kind of what you've seen differently in him since that game, since the last time we talked. And I think you made a really good point about, you know, he always w- with his happy feet, that was his biggest problem. And he was always such a one read quarterback in that, you know, he dropped back and right away, if that's not there, he's gone. You know, he's not even taken half a second. He's, if his first read isn't wide open, he's going to try and book it. No, no pun intended, but that was kind of funny. Um, now, I don't think he's ever going to be, you know, truly a quarterback that goes through every single read, every single progression in the pocket because he does trust his feet. But he's kind of used those happy feet to help him escape trouble while staying in the pocket, if that makes sense. Like, he, he's doing it to avoid the rush while still making reads. And, again, he's never going to be a guy that's going to go through entire progressions. But he's giving himself time before taking off to take a look at that second read, that's that third read. And because of that, we've seen Notre Dame's offense – more, more factors go into it as well. But mainly because of that, you've kind of seen Notre Dame's offense reach a level we really haven't seen it hit in, in quite some time. And, and one, one, more, one more point there is his receivers have learned how to find him when he's scrambling, um, which, again, that wasn't happening at the beginning of the year. A lot of times the book each was other. I think just about every game at the beginning of the year, they're so bad at the like – the receivers have no idea how to run the scramble drill. They, they figure that out. Exactly. And that's, that's huge because this game, again, I don't want Ian Book – I don't want this to be a total backyard game where Ian Book is throwing lefty underhand and what have you um, because Worked that means pressure is getting him. It, Again, it has worked, and I hope it's the <laughs> yeah. exception as opposed to the rule. Um, but again, he's my, my brother. You know, messaged me at the beginning of the season, and he was like, "My goal and my hope for Ian Book is that he can be like a Johnny Manziel light, where he again is not. You know, he is using his feet, his keeping his eyes downfield because he has that similar skill set. He's obviously mm-hmm. not that, not nearly at that level, but in terms of making big plays in the big moments, getting creative, and then having those receivers who come back to him to make those plays. And we're seeing that develop. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch because he is a fun quarterback. And you go into games now in the last five or six weeks, knowing what to expect with Ian Book, knowing what to expect with Notre Dame. And they've consistently been delivering that, which even despite all the winning over the past three or four years, this level of consistency from, you know, from Book, from the offense, and from everybody hasn't always been there at all. No, it seems like even with the wins they've kind of had over the last few years, obviously they never kind of won the big one, but you always kind of knew that that offense, that team kind of had a ceiling because of who they had at quarterback. And, and I think what we saw five weeks ago against Clemson is that ceiling became significantly higher. They, they really don't – I mean, their ceiling now is they can play it with and can beat anybody in the country if Ian Book is playing that way. Yeah. Um, but you mentioned the offensive line, the, the health there. Um, so you got any updates for us? Who's going to be ready to go this week? I mean, I, I know they're missing some starters. Sounds like Tommy Kramer is going to be back. Sounds mm-hmm. like center has been a little bit of a revolving door in practice. So, so what offensive line are we going to be looking at on, uh, on Saturday? Yep. So not, not too many changes. Um, so we're going to see Tommy Kramer fully back in the lineup from a appendectomy. Um, exactly. He wasn't even supposed to play two weeks ago versus Syracuse, but you know, I think uh, midway through the first quarter, he turned to Kelly and said, I'm good to go. So he's very much a football guy who wants to be in there, who That's had surgery like week two week. weeks before, for sure. Um, and then we saw Zeke Carell uh, make his first start versus North Carolina, but he has a high ankle sprain. So we're going to see Josh Luggett center. Um, and I feel, I feel very confident in him. He's a guy who's been, you know, he's played a bunch in his career. Uh, he started last week. He's got a handful of starts. So it's going to be, again, that core offensive line, just in, inserting uh, Zeke Carell in at center, which – 
again, he's not as good as Jared Patterson, but it's not like you're taking a, a, a big step back there. And especially with two weeks to practice as the starting center um, and get comfortable with that. Um, I think he had two, like there's, there's been some small little snap things, but again, they've had two weeks to two weeks to clean it up, two weeks to get consistent with that line. So I feel good about Lug coming in um, and the offensive line, even with some of the defenders and defensive line coming back from Clemson. I still feel like Notre Dame is a, it's about as good as you can be from a replacement the, uh, offensive lineman. Yeah, Notre Dame, it seems like over the, I mean, your offensive line, starting the same offensive line for 10 weeks in a row, 11 weeks in a row is almost impossible. It's almost never going to happen. It always seems like whenever Notre Dame does have that significant injury or the one that's going to be out for a while, they usually have a guy waiting in the wings that's, you know, had a handful of starts at a bunch of different positions and kind of knows the entire line. And obviously that's what great programs do, but Notre Dame, especially on the offensive line, has always seemed to have that great depth that you kind of need to get through an 11, 12, 13 game season. For sure. Um, it's, it's, yeah, just, go ahead. just, just, it's, I'm don't have anything else to add. I'm a bit, I'm just rambling here. So I'm going to let That's you continue. <laughs> you like rambling. Um, well, no, I just kind of was more trying to extend the topic because the next one's going to make me kind of sad before we get to predictions. Um, officially as of today, Clark Lee is, is departing. Uh, he's going to finish out the year as Notre Dame's defensive coordinator, but departing for, uh, for Vanderbilt no, really, nothing really else needs to be said about the loss. Notre Dame is, is going to suffer there because we know how, how uh, good of a coach he's been over the last couple of years, how, how well he is liked in the locker room. Um, let's talk replacement possibilities. I know, I know Mike Elston's a name that's been mentioned. Um, I was record, uh, reading an article on The Athletic today from Pete Sampson that was saying Mike Elko, of all people, could be a guy that Brian Kelly calls. Do, do you think this is an internal hire? Do you think it's an external hire? How, how confident are you as well? in Brian Kelly to kind of get that defensive coordinator hire right. So there's really no drop off. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go a couple different, couple different a lot of questions there are a lot of different. Yeah. Answers. So I'm, I'll take this a couple different ways. First off, couldn't be happier for Clark Lee. Anyone who's giving him shit about that doesn't know anything about anything. He has a chance to go. He's from Nashville. He went to Vanderbilt, played football at Vanderbilt has a chance to be a power five coach at a, in the sec where if you're above 500 at Vanderbilt, it's considered a wild success. Still so, a tall task, but yes. It's still, still a tall task, but if you're going to be a head coach and you have an opportunity to coach at your alma mater in the SEC, you, you do it. Um, and, and especially, it's his hometown. And I just, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, it's like your dad giving the opportunity to go coach at Northwestern. It's just, no matter the situation, you, you have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I think it's, it's the right move for him. He's for sure going to still coach throughout the next couple of weeks. His That's players are supportive of him. So it's a situation where it's everyone is happy for him, which is a very strange thing to feel um, and to kind of express an entire program. Um, So he's definitely going to be missed. Um, I'm curious if, um, sorry, did I get cut out there? No, you're you're still good. We got you. Okay, cool. Someone gave me a call. Um, So from a replacement standpoint, um, I trust Kelly. I mean, think about the people he's brought in. He, First off, he brought in after 2016, he's overhauled the coaching staff, the strength staff, and has vetted people. Mm-hmm. And he clearly has a, a good read on who to hire, um, whether that's internal, like promoting Clark Lee and Tommy Reese. We're looking externally when he brought in, you know, Clark Lee and brought in um, Mike Elko as a, as a tandem. So mm-hmm. I think initially they're going to look internally and whether it's a combination of um, safety's coach and Terry's jo- Terry Joseph, uh, defensive, line co- and Mike El- defensive line coach and Mike Elston, I think either one of those guys would do a great job. I think Elston is, I think it's probably his job to, to potentially lose. Um, and I, I think he would do a really good job stepping in. The players love him. 
if you look at the development that he's had across the D-line, Notre Dame has brought in tons of three-star guys who develop into you know, NFL draft prospects. So he's there from a player development standpoint. I don't know from an X and O's perspective, but it seems like all the guys on defense are you know, pretty closely aligned. Um, one name to keep a just to keep an one name to keep an eye out for is is Nick Lazinski. Not to be promoted to be defensive coordinator, but see if he has a clear, great relationship with Clark Lee. So I'm curious if Notre Dame promotes him to um, linebackers coach or he joins Clark as part of the staff um, at Bambi. Um, I, in my heart of hearts, I really hope he stays because he was actually my DB's coach at Holy Cross. Um, so I have a Small good world. personal connection with him, and he's also somebody who. You know, he's a fast riser in the program who I think if he's a position coach at, you know, Notre Dame, and, and he, I think he should be, I think they do everything to keep him. Um, again, you brought up Mike Elko. I wouldn't hate that. Um, he came in and was really successful and laid the foundation for what the defense is now. Um, I think Clark Lee is taking it to the next level, but I think, I think Mike Elko would be the closest one-to-one swap for Clark Lee that you can have. Is it realistic? Probably not. not because he, I mean, Notre Dame's not going to toss a bag over to him. They're not going to give him, you know, $1.5 million. And I think, you know, maybe Kelly or somebody else <laughs> reaches out to him and be like, Hey, do you want to come? And again, Texas A&M is the number five team in the country. So it's not like he's in a bad situation. So um, I, I like the internal hire. Um, and I, I hope that they keep the current just defensive like skeleton that's going on now because they've been recruiting guys to come in and play the Rover, play the Viper, and we've seen what has developed in guys that they recruit to play those types of positions um, and how they develop. So you'd hate for them to shake that up, especially with some really good Rover candidates coming in. So with all that said, I think they, I think they stick internal and they're going to go with Mike Elston, who I think will be a seamless transition, honestly. Yeah. That, that's kind of where my money is too. Just that that's kind of the name that keeps being floated out there. That seems to make the most sense. And from what we've seen from his last few coordinator hires, I mean, they, he, Brian Kelly has gone the internal route. He's recruited that way. And it's not like, you know, they haven't kind of known the last few years that Clark Lee has probably gone for a head coaching job as soon as one, you know, he interviewed for Boston college last year. So this is really jumping up as a surprise to many people um, with, with the recruits they're bringing in. I am with you. I think they're going to try and keep kind of that same skeleton, that same base defense they have and either, you know, promote someone or bring someone in to kind of, fit that mold or keep going with that. Um, I do want to talk now about the other coordinator, Tommy Reese, who is, who is a, you, you mentioned like Clark Lee, a rising star, Tommy, Tommy Reese also um, a rising star. And this is kind of what programs go through every few years is the successful ones have their coordinators leave for head coaching gigs. Um, don't think Tommy Reese is headed for that anytime soon, but do you see him as being a guy that's kind of here for the longer haul here waiting for the perfect job? Cause obviously Clark Lee only left really, for his dream job and Tommy Reese's dream job is probably the one Brian Kelly has right now. For sure. I don't, I don't see Tommy going anywhere anytime soon. Um, no big power five program is going to give him a head coaching job. And mm-hmm. I don't see him going, you know, the route of like a, you know, Mac or a group. Mike of Sanford did what, who was it? Uh, Western, Western Kentucky. Kentucky. Yeah. I don't see him joining the Hilltoppers because again, there's not that much, there's some upside there, but he's in such a high profile position right now the only place that I can see him jumping, say if Notre Dame's offense is pretty dominant the next year, next two years, again, Notre Dame wouldn't hire him on as their head coach. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that they would go that, that, that young, but I could, the only thing I could see him luring away is, you know, a, a OC job in the NFL. That's, I, I don't see him going anywhere else in college anytime soon. Um, but I can see him, you know, potentially looking at the NFL if it comes calling and, and it'd be hard to, to knock him for doing that. But I think he's locked in for at least, 
at least two years as the OC. It's his first year calling plays right now. And so we'll see, especially after a year, it's always interesting to see how people do in their second year when they have full tape on a guy and they have a full tape on a, on a coordinator to see how they respond. Um, because again, going into this year, their tendencies are going to be different. And I think that's played an advantage in Notre Dame. But with that said, I've, I've loved Tommy Reese's play calling. Um, it's, it's been exciting. It's been a mix of tempo and I think he's, he's done a good job. And I think he's really gelled with, um, gelled with book. And so a real test too will be next year when he has a new starting quarterback who doesn't have, you know, 25 plus starts heading into the year. Um, so we'll really see how he develops the young talent um, as well as calls of plays around guys who don't have the, you know, skill set that book has. All right. Well, we're running kind of towards the end here. So we're going to finish this the same way we did last time. Got, got three quick questions for you and then we'll wrap it up. First question, X factor on offense for Notre Dame on Saturday afternoon, which is weird. It's Saturday afternoon. I don't like that. Should be night game. I know. It feels like it should be Saturday night. Yeah. Um, I am going to go with uh, Ben Skoranek. You love Ben Skoranek. X factor on <laughs> X factor on defense. Um, I'm going to keep this one with the home run hitter. I'm going to go with Kyle Hamilton. All right, and finish the sentence for me. Notre Dame wins on Saturday if they win the turnover battle. Like it. Give me a final score prediction. So I am going and settling with. You're gonna pick them to lose again, Phil? I'm not. I I'm gonna pick them to win uh, 33 to 30. Look at you. I. Um, I, I I kind of see it the same way, being a little bit more of a, of a high-scoring affair like last time. I think both offenses are just going to be good enough. And, and to, I mean, Trevor Lawrence is going to get his. Clemson's defense, even if they're healthy, still a little bit banged up. And I think Notre Dame's going to be able to run the football on them. But I, I'm with you. I kind of like that high-scoring back-and-forth battle again. Yeah. My, my thought here is there's going to be a critical turnover late in the game. Um, and whoever – However way it goes, I think, I think takes it. Um, and um, I, my prediction, I think it's going to be Kyle Hamilton, um, you know, Clemson driving. I, I think it's going to be Kyle Hamilton just by law of averages doesn't have a pick that hasn't been called back this year. Um, so I think he, I think he gets his first one of the year. Um, and yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a good game. I feel good about being a good game. I feel, you know, and, and this is probably a longer discussion. I don't want to hijack too much time here, That's but okay. I, I think if it's a, you know, if, if people watch the game and say that game wasn't, was, it was a game in the fourth quarter, I think Notre Dame and Clemson both punched their ticket to the playoff. I think so. Um, Clemson even, I mean, if, if, Clemson, they, if they no, lose no, no, again? No, sorry. If Clemson, okay. If Clemson loses there, um, they don't get to the playoff. But if Notre Dame, um, if Notre Dame loses by, I think I'm giving them 13 points. Notre Dame loses by more than two touchdowns. I think that's when it gets dicey, but I think it's less about points, more about optics. How they look. So yeah. heading into the, heading towards the end of that game, is it, um, do people walk away from that saying that game could have gone either way? Then Notre Dame gets in. I just, you know, I, I think with that Florida loss, it's going to be really, really hard to put, you know, I, I can't see putting A&M in after kind of getting blown out by Alabama. And if Notre Dame's only loss, even if it is by 17, 20 points, is to Clemson and Trevor Lawrence, like, all right, they split a season series with Clemson and Trevor Lawrence. You're really going to kick them out for A&M, who, you know, doesn't – I mean, their one big win is Florida, but they don't have that avenge game against Alabama. I don't know. It's, it'll be interesting to see. 
Yeah. And hopefully we don't have to have that conversation. Hopefully it's a, hopefully it's a good game. That's all I'm really hoping for. I think Notre Dame has a real good shot to win. Um, and I think they have proven that they can win this game now, which is they're not going into this game without this team, without winning a big game, which does mm-hmm. wonders for confidence. Um, Clemson has, you know, everything to lose this game, but you know, I, I really feel like it's going to be a close game and, and either way Notre Dame ends up in the playoff, which is, has to be their goal. And, mm-hmm. and I think they're in a good position to, you know, actually compete for a national championship. We'll see if anyone can compete with Alabama, but I think Notre Dame is in a position where they've shown that they can compete in every game, no matter who the competition is this year, which is something I haven't felt good about ever for a long time. I don't think. Yeah, really ever. Um, I'm going to go 37, 31 final score. Irish win 37, 31. It's going to come down to a late play. And maybe that's Kyle Hamilton picking off Trevor Lawrence on a game winning, you know, type drive. But we're on the same page here. Irish are going to win. They're going to be ACC champions. The the only season they've ever played in the conference. They're going to win that conference. Um, Phil, thanks for hopping on with us. Really appreciate the time as always. And be a little bit nervous on Saturday because your reputation. I'm sure I'll be texting you throughout the entire (laughs) game like normal. (laughs) All right. Go Irish. So there you go, Phil Goff, weighing in here on the Moose and Roots podcast. Can't thank Phil the Thrill for uh, coming on once again, shedding some light here on the Irish as they get ready for another big-time matchup with Clemson. And, you know, everyone's talking about Trevor Lawrence being back in the fold. Can't wait to see the box score and compare the two because DJ Uyangalole did what he needed to do. Um, it was not an offensive problem. It was a defensive problem. And as Phil outlined, the biggest changes here are in the middle for Clemson. Uh, they've got some big names. on that defensive line coming back that they did not have against Mm -hmm. Notre Dame the first time around. Notre Dame's center scenario is a little bit fluid right now, so uh, I think that's where the game's going to be won and lost this weekend. Yeah, I mean, we we, you heard me touched on it. Like, Trevor Lawrence is back, and he's the better quarterback than DJ, and you know, he he brings a little bit more with his feet and maybe makes a couple reads that DJ doesn't, but for the most part, like, DJ threw for 420 yards. Like, he was really darn good, and like, I don't we, the first question I was, you heard me asking was talking about, you know, why is Notre Dame a ten and a half point dog? They were six and a half earlier in the season. Like, I don't see why how Trevor Lawrence makes that big of a difference. Obviously, he's the better player, but I just with how good DJ was, I don't really get it. I think the bigger factor is Clemson's healthier on defense, and I I'm excited to see how Notre Dame's offensive line lives up to that challenge because they're getting healthier now too. Um, I'm also excited to see, you know. Clark Lee's game plan after the first week, your first game kind of being like, hey, Travis Etienne's not going to beat us. We're going to make everybody else do it. Yeah. Kind of can't do that anymore because, you know, like we are saying, Trevor Lawrence is just a little bit better than DJ, and he might be able to actually beat you if you just take away Travis. So uh, we I'm broke interested this one, to see. A lot of storylines. We, we broke this one down on HQ uh, yesterday. It was myself, Danny Cannell, Brady Quinn, and obviously having Brady Quinn there. How was Brady's the- hair? Fantastic, oh, as always. God, I'm so jealous um, of it. I mean, you put me and him on the same two box, and it's kind of game Joe, over. let's it's – you have nice over. hair, but come on. It's Brady Quinn. Like, let's, oh, I, all no, right. Just I, I'll, I'll, come on. I'll send you a screen grab. It's all I, 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 I've seen your hair. It's, it's lovely. Right. It's not Brady Quinn. <laughs> all right. Well, you know – and ladies and gentlemen, God. that is gonna, the end of the Moose and Runes podcast. It's been a fun forever. 185-episode um, run. No, uh, departing from the point here, we were, we were breaking the game down, and it was interesting to hear both of them, one who, ha- who has an obvious Notre Dame bias and one who s- leans away from that bias quite often in, mm-hmm. in Danny Cannell. He has his Florida State bias, but outside of that, there's, there's a negative perception of Notre Dame forever. 
it, it's just it's just intertwined into the general public There's just those people. the Irish. And I think that has also made its way into the fabric of the numbers that we've seen this season from Vegas, this this negative perception of Notre Dame and not allowing ourselves to just clear our minds and assess the team on the field. They're still setting the number for a Notre Dame team that has failed in these spots before. Not this 2020 team that has proven they can go on the road and beat the top team in the nation. You know, there's a little bit of, I think this number has about, seven or eight years worth of precedent behind it. And that's why both guys are jumping on Notre Dame with the 10 and a half, both Danny uh, and Brady like Notre Dame staying inside the number. And both of them said, sprinkle it on the money line too, because this is going to be a close football game. This is going to be a great football game. And I think it is as well. Yeah. College football lines, especially tend to, the odds makers tend to lean on reputation more than anything else. And you hit on that. Well, Notre Dame's reputation up until this year was, you know they they beat up on a lot of the bad teams and they're going to get blown out when they face a you know a tough test. Now they already passed that test this year, but I think once you're getting later in the season when you know Clemson's getting healthier, the odds makers are probably using that excuse to kind of fall back on the well we're we're going to go on the reputation here thing. So I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm not going to make it a lock of the week because I will never put Notre Dame in a lock of the week. Um, but I, I would tend to like the ten and a half just because I kind of think no matter what happens, I don't think any teams blowing each other out. Uh, we're going to get to locks of the week in just a moment. Let's just run through these conference championship games uh, with the number in mind, and, and let's just let's play each one of them. These we're are not start locks, with Ball State Buffalo. Offer our locks. No, we're just going to keep it to the Power Five here. Okay, uh, gonna well, I'm going to take Buffalo five. minus the thirteen and a half. Uh, but uh, Sorry, beginning on Friday, excuse me, beginning on Friday with the Pac-12, you've got USC laying three against Oregon. Oregon earning their way into the conference championship game By for default. no reason because Washington can't play. Uh, I'm taking USC laying the three here. Yeah, I've uh, I, I've I've taken Oregon too many times and been burned this year to bet on them again. USC doesn't seem like they're that great of a team, but like. They're finding ways to win late. They seem to be orchestrating game-winning drives late, so I, I think they find a way uh, to get the job done there against Oregon and become the de facto Pac-12 champions, I guess. Uh, Saturday, it all begins with Northwestern and Ohio State in Indy, 12 Eastern time, early kick for a conference championship. Uh, Lucas Oil Stadium, Ohio State, laying 20 and a half. A little bit of bias here for uh, for my purple, but I got to take Northwestern staying inside of that number. It's a huge number. It's a tough defense. What scares me is Ohio State's strength is what Northwestern does well. Ohio State stops the run, and Northwestern can only really run the ball. I don't think they score a ton of points. I'd play this under the 57 as well, but I like Northwestern staying inside the 20 and a half. I would, and I, I don't, sorry, I don't have the first half lines open. I would take Northwestern's first half. And then take Ohio State's 20 and a half. Because I, I think especially half, how we've, we've seen these games go in the past. You saw it with Wisconsin a couple years ago. I like that strategy. I, I think Northwestern gives them a, a tough first half. I think they hang in there for a little bit. And then I think as time goes on, the better team like Ohio State tends to do in these big matchups pulls away and adds on late. And I, I think you're going to also see, again, we're, we're going to talk about it when we get to locks, but you, you, you see a team that – is in, but also probably wants to leave, no doubt. Probably not thrilled. Probably using some bulletin board material saying they don't deserve to be in as a 5-0 and squad. I think if they get the chance too late, I think they will pile on. But I do like Northwestern to come out, play hard for fits, and keep this thing close in the first half. And then I just kind of think Ohio State, as time goes on, a little bit too much for them. Big 12 championship theme features the number 10 Oklahoma Sooners and the number 6 
Iowa State Cyclones. Uh, Oklahoma laying five and a half. This one's going down at Jerry's World in Arlington. I really like Oklahoma here. Uh, I think they're a touchdown better than Iowa State. I, I believe that the 10 next to their name is because of the two next to the seven in their record. And mm-hmm. they started, started the season two and two. They've ripped off five straight. Spencer Rattler has looked like, from that point on, someone who could potentially be a Heisman candidate in the coming year. She's been fantastic, hasn't given the ball away, and gave it away just like he didn't even want it in the first four weeks of the season, was given the ball away. Fumbles, interceptions, everything. He's protected the football. I just think Oklahoma's a better football team. I know it's kind of boneheaded. It's kind of chalk. No, hey, that, five and a half, and I like Oklahoma. That's fair. I mean, and it's it's weird because you see five and a half in the NFL. You think like, oh man, that team's a huge favorite. You see it in college, like that's that's a close game, and that team's still that, yeah. that's a close line in college. Probably a sweat. I'm going to lean Iowa State simply because Oklahoma hasn't played in a few weeks. They've had the COVID issues. Iowa State seems to be firing on all cylinders. I know it's hard to beat a team again. And I'm not saying they will, but I like them to get that five and a half number, and I think over 58 is going to happen. Um, Iowa State, granted, playing some bad teams, has been scoring a lot lately. They put up 42 on a, on a well, West Virginia might not be great. They play pretty good defense. And like you said, Oklahoma's offense is finally starting to click. Spencer Rattler's start, like, starting to look like the quarterback people expected. So I like uh, your typical Big 12 shootout, Iowa State. I think covers the five and a half. Not sure they win, though. ACC title game in Charlotte will feature the Irish, Irish. and the Clemson Tigers, and two versus three. Over. Uh, ten and a half, I'm taking that as well. Uh, they're getting ten and a half are the Irish, even though they're 10-0. They beat Clemson. They're two. Fine. They're three. That's fine. Whatever. Uh, another way I want to approach this one, I haven't seen the numbers yet, and if I like them, I'm playing them. I want to play over rushing totals for everybody. Kyron Ooh, Williams, like Travis that. Etienne, Tra- Trevor Lawrence. I think that this is going to be two coaches who are going to say – we can run the ball against you. And they might both be right. That's the scary thing here mm-hmm. because that was sort of the case in the first matchup uh, for Notre Dame. At least. Yeah. And Clemson got a little pass happy because that kind of is what fit their interim quarterback at the time. I think they get back to that running game. I think you see Trevor Lawrence's, I'm just guessing Trevor Lawrence's number right now, 45 and a half. Look it up. That's probably it because that's just the way my brain works. Mm-hmm. Um, play it over. I, I think play every rushing total over that you can. Yeah, because uh, Notre Dame was obviously able to run the ball, and that's what they're going to come out. That's what they're going to set out to do. And like we were talking about earlier, they're not uh, defensively just going to say we're taking away Travis Etienne and load the box with seven every time. They're going to have to, you know, spread out and respect the passing game a little bit more than they did. Yeah. Um, and that's going to open some things up for Travis Etienne. So I, and you've heard both coaches talk before the last game, after the last game, before this one. This game is won and lost by both those front sevens. These coaches both know that, um, and they both have really strong front sevens. So I think you're going to see both of them try and you know impose their will and win that battle. Uh, so I, I like that. I, 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 you're going to see some offense. You're going to see some fireworks. But I think especially early on, you're going to see two coaches trying to establish a run. Number one, Alabama. Number seven, Florida State. SEC title game, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, Atlanta, Georgia. Bama's laying 17. Uh, They've only had one game this season decided by less than 16 points. That was against Ole Miss. Uh, Give me Alabama 10 times out of 10. Put the freaking mortgage on it. 17 points. We've seen them score 17 points in six minutes Mm -hmm. this season. I I just don't think Florida – yes, Florida's strength is their defensive secondary. Great. But you're going to get tried vertical 10 times. And Alabama's going to hit on three of them. Devontae Smith's going to get open. 
Devante Smith is the Heisman Award winner. And like, if, if we had a grievance, and don't, you don't have to hit the music or anything, but when he returned that punt against Arkansas last week, that was his moment without Mac Jones. Now, you could tie all of Devontae Smith's success to Mac Jones prior to that. But he now has a moment. He now has a piece of film that says, look at what he's doing. Look at what he's doing with his quarterback, without his quarterback, with his offense on the field, with special teams on the field, with freshman red shirts on the field. Look at Devontae Smith and how he is the most dangerous, explosive just unbelievable weapon in college football right now. Tell me somebody that deserves this award more than Devontae Smith. I understand he's a wide receiver. I understand it's an ancillary piece of the offense. But has there really been a quarterback this season that no. has warranted the Heisman head and shoulders above the rest? Kyle Trask, you've been fantastic. You just laid an egg against the LSU. You're done. Mac Jones, you've been great. But here's the conversation and the dichotomy of how much have you benefited from Devontae Smith mm-hmm. and how much has he benefited from you? Do you want to go up there and hold the trophy together? I don't know. Is this like a weird, unspoken relationship thing that's happening right now? I have to assume they've thought about it. I don't know if they've talked about it explicitly. But for me, the most electrifying talent in the country right now is Devontae Smith. And I'd like to see a wide receiver hoist that trophy over his head this year for the first time and I believe. 35 years or something like that since Desmond Howard? Yeah, I just, I don't under, like, NFL MVP is always going to be a quarterback position, and that's fine. I, I don't like that Heisman, the Heisman Trophy has seemingly just kind of become a best quarterback in the country award. Like, I, Devontae Smith for me also, he's been the best player in the country, and he all, he, Mac Jones has been very good. Obviously, he's benefited from Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith also lost his, you know, counterpart on the other side, Jalen Waddle, really early in the season. The, the guy that was supposed to kind of, they're supposed to be kind of protection for each other. He doesn't have that, you know, other star on the other side of him now. He's just the focal point for for defenses, the game plan, and he's still going out and dropping two hundred yards, you know, three touchdowns, whatever. I, I, for my money, he is also the Heisman Trophy winner. He's the best player in the country this year, and I, I, like- I don't think he's going to win it, which is the sad point because yeah. quarterbacks are going to get all the votes. But there's not like Kyle Trask lost his chance. He he should have beat LSU at home. And quite honestly, he's probably going to lose because, again, I have Alabama to cover the 17-2. Probably going to finish with three losses. Are you going to give a Heisman Trophy uh, to a quarterback with three losses? I don't think so. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I would just like to see how many times this season Devontae Smith has had 100-plus yards receiving at a lot. Halftime. No, no, at halftime. A lot. And I Still. think I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say – it's all but like two games. In calling these highlights every weekend, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm just always befuddled by like uh, seven receptions, buck 17 at halftime, finish the day with 216 yards and three touchdowns. Like like clockwork. These are video game numbers that I don't know if we've grown desensitized to because it's what he does, but um, that that's my Heisman Award winner. Uh, cool. Matt, we've gone through a Power 5 weekend here, but it's time for our locks of mm. the week. You take another L, as did I. My, yeah. Was Chiefs game. Yours was a tough one. Mine Chiefs was, game, I never it, had a chance. Yours was Chiefs a tough never, one. Chiefs, Chiefs' whole first half, it was like, oh, we're not covering this. And then it was like, oh, okay, they turn it on in the second quarter. Third, they start blowing the doors off. It's like, oh, we got this covered easy. Backdoor cover, backdoor uncover. Um I end up taking a loss as well. Seven and seven on the season. You are six and eight on the season. Matt, what do you have for the people this week? Uh, I'm sorry. I stole your pick. I, I spoke first in the production meeting, and as rules rules go, I have dibs. Um, Texas A&M covering the 14 at Tennessee. Uh, late game kind of thrown together. 
like we talked about, AM, if they have any chance to make it in, probably has to win this game by 21, 28, 30 points. And um, I, I think Jimbo Fisher probably knows that. Tennessee is not that great of a football team. AM has some talent. Uh, I'm going to go them, go with them trying to make a, a statement win here, covering the 14 on the road to Tennessee. Yeah, that was kind of how I was trying to think about this. Is like who who needs to make a statement? Whose quality of win is most important this weekend? Because A and M they need to absolutely embarrass Tennessee, and then they need some help. Um, but that embarrassment is what they can control. I like that. Ten- uh, excuse me, A um, and M covering the fourteen against Tennessee mm-hmm. for my pick. I am completely going the opposite way in terms of like ethos behind the pick. Okay. Where does it where does it not matter at all this weekend? And that's Nebraska Rutgers. Yeah. Nebraska is a seven Bad point football. favorite. Embrace the suck. <laughs> Nebraska is a seven point favorite against Rutgers. Nebraska's already had news conferences and players have been talking about how much it's meant to them to be a part of the program. They've it's it's done. They've checked out. And Rutgers They've had a little bit more productive season than than, than they have in past seasons. Coming off winning against Maryland too, right? Like a, a well, nice you want a storyline in this yeah. one. I don't know if you saw. Uh, I would love nothing more than a storyline in Rutgers, Nebraska. Rutgers quarterback Noah Vedrill got rolled up on at the end of that uh, Maryland game. Dirty play. Kid wrenched his ankle under a pile. He's questionable to play this weekend. Well, he's going to do everything in his power to play this weekend because Noah Vedrill, born and raised in Nebraska was an all-state player at Bishop Newman in my time there. I got to cover him. Nicest kid in the world. Follows Scott Frost, or gets recruited by Scott Frost, excuse Mm -hmm. me, at UCF. Goes and plays at UCF uh, where he was in the quarterback room with Mackenzie Milton, that crazy undefeated season they had right before Frost left. Frost leaves and comes to Nebraska. Vedral goes with him. Vedral goes with Frost to Nebraska, loses the job to Adrian Martinez, who is a starter right now for Nebraska. So Vedral, in wanting to play and losing his eligibility, goes and transfers to Rutgers, where he won the starting job. Now he gets the face-off not only with his hometown team that he rooted for, with the quarterback that beat him out, with the coach that he traveled across the country with that didn't choose him as his starting quarterback. There's everything in the world to play for this weekend for Noah Vedral and Rutgers. I like them covering the seven. I'm right taking here. the money line. You just you <laughs> swayed me. I'm taking the I Rutgers money, the money line. line. Let's go. That's a, that's a movie script right there. Small town Nebraska. Just give it. Just give me it. I'm take, taking the Rutgers money line. You convinced me. I like it. What was uh, it? Is, so those were because you were saying earlier there was one you were thinking of other than AM. Was that the one you had in mind? That was, was the other one I was thinking of other than AM. My so other one were, that I kind of liked on the pro week. side. I, I think the Buffalo Bills win against the Steelers. They're they're kind of rolling downhill in a good way. Uh, they they got six and they're laying six and a half at Denver. I think Denver's good, but I think Buffalo at this point is just. I don't think I, I think they're they got all the momentum in the world. And I think they're they're rolling in the right direction. That was my other, like that. the only other one I forwarded with. Very good. Uh, Matt, before we say goodbye here, you got any buy or sells? I do. Um, we, should talk about, we should talk about Giannis. Um, both of us were wrong in that regard, saying he was going to be a Golden State Warrior. It didn't end mm-hmm. up happening. He signs that massive extension. $228 million over good, five years. Good Fifth for year him. is a player option. Richest deal in the history of the NBA. Buys you a lot of Miller Lite in Milwaukee. Um, I'm going to ask you um, – Given the the Jimmy Butler signing the the big deal with the Heat and kind of not going to a super team, going to be his own guy, Giannis then kind of following suit here, staying home in Milwaukee, not going to form the super team, teaming up, buy or sell, the the era of the super team is trending towards its end. Let's say that sell. Okay, 
couldn't sell it more wholeheartedly. Uh, I really think that this is the exception to the rule and do not be so convinced that Giannis four years from now will still will be, be a Milwaukee buck. It's the NBA. If Giannis is unhappy three weeks from now, they will find a place for that contract. Mm-hmm. They just found a place for $40 million worth of John Wall in in uh, Houston. They just found a place for $41 million Wild. worth of Russell Westbrook every year in Washington. You can find a place for $45 million worth of Giannis Antetokounmpo. There is no such thing as a long-term contract. These are all fluid situations and where guys want to go. I also think that he could stay in Milwaukee and they could see success there if they add another player, yeah, Drew Holiday's nice. They add him in the offseason. Great guard to put around him. Not a super team by any stretch of the imagination. Better spot than they were without him, but yeah. Talent is always going to be attracted to more talent, especially in the NBA. It is the most directly related to going out on the playground and playing pickup. And I say this with the utmost respect. It is... There are so many talented superstars in the NBA right now that if you're on the playground with other superstars and you have first pick, you're going to pick a superstar. It's Mm -hmm. the nature of it. If I was a captain on the St. Giles uh, playground, Mike Lonnie was the first pick because I know Mike Lonnie could ball out. That's a name I haven't heard in a long time. You're always going to go take the most talented player. And if you have any say in it, you can join forces with them. If you can get a guy to come to you, if you have to go to a guy, if you want to get a team together, it's going to continue to happen. It's been happening. This is not a uh, Miami Heat thing. This is a this is a Boston Celtics thing before mm-hmm. that. This is a Lakers thing before that. This is a Bulls thing before that. This is a Pistons thing before that. This is how the NBA works. You you put talent together and then you go win. Call it a super team. Call it a big three. Call it what you want. Just don't call me for money, man. I don't think I'd ever have to call you for money. <laughs> I, um, I think I have one here for you as well. I do have a uh, bonus NBA buy or sell after year one. It's, it's a good one. Okay. Does, it, does it dovetail off of this? Do you want no, to jump no, in? it's different. Okay. No, no, it's totally different. Uh, Matt, we are a golf podcast. You're on we the are. podcast. Big we'll tournament that. coming this weekend. If you did not know, it is the PNC Championship. The, no longer father-sons. It's now uh, relation. Any sort of like, you can be like an uncle or whatever, whatever. But it is the father-son tournament. And it is also the debut of Charlie Woods. Let's go. Who will be playing alongside Tiger Woods. Matt, buy or sell Charlie Woods's global debut. Will you be watching? All in. All in. Am I going to watch every single shot of every single day? Probably not. But that's going to be on TV. Guarantee it. Need to watch it. Need to see the. Need to see the second coming. It's just so crazy. It's so crazy to think like once you start seeing like I, I even have a little bit of this feeling about Bronny uh, about LeBron's son. Like it, once we see him get to the collegiate level for the year, if that's mm-hmm. still a thing, or once we see him get to the NBA, and it's different with golf because you know there's these opportunities for young kids to play, and they even burst onto the scene so young. But like we're starting to see our athletes' kids become athletes. We're getting um, to that age group, which is weird because I always remember you know growing up, you know hearing our dad say something the lines like, uh, like "Oh, Ken Griffey Jr. That's yeah, that's you know Ken Griffey's kid or you know stuff like that." You and should like, have seen Kellen Winslow. Exactly. Like I never realized. Like, okay, yeah, <laughs> sure. And now you're getting the point. Like, holy shit! Like yeah. 
it's actually happening. Like this is, uh, I'm that guy now. This is LeBron James. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not lamenting over age here. I think it's just really cool to, um, no, it's, it's like, it's cool to see that happen. Like, the, like I've, I know LeBron James and now or I know Tiger Woods and now here comes this kid along who's, he's going to be really good too. Like you have that attachment to that. And think about, think about those two of, names. God. Think about those two names, Matt, LeBron James, Tiger Woods. I'd be hard pressed to find a young kid athlete outside of those two who was put more expectation on, who was put more pressure on their shoulders between Tiger and LeBron. It was unbelievable. It was unthinkable to see how they've not only met those expectations, but exceeded them through the course of their careers. Now they have children who are having expectations laid out in front of them. So does this superstar guy, LeBron James, this is superstar guy, Tiger Woods, have a kid who then surpasses expectations. Like it's just, I, I am enthralled by the genetics and the bloodline that creates this sort of success on the greatest stage. I'm so excited to see Charlie Woods go pure it out there this weekend. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of pressure. I mean, I get it. You're talking to the guy that, you know, followed Brian Rooney, not one place, but two. I, I was lived in the shadows. I got, you know, <laughs> unlike them, they, I probably failed. Let's be real. It's a great locker room guy. Um, no, but it's, it's, it's fun to see. I, I'm excited to watch Charlie Woods go hit drives better than I probably can. Do you think we could beat him in a scramble? You and me versus him. He I gets mean, to play he's, up. He gets to play yeah, up. Dude, if he's playing up, no, I, I don't. I don't either. Like, like he was, he played that nine hole tournament earlier. It was like two under through nine. I was like, oh. Are you saying me and you versus Tiger and Charlie? No, you and you me versus thought? Charlie versus just Charlie. I think Charlie still gets us to be. I honest. think so too. I, I just think that he has that Woods look in his eye, and on he the would, third green, he'd he would flash one at you. Yeah, he didn't and I would be the hell out of me. I'd be, I'd be done. Be he'd give me a Tiger look, and I'd be like, oh fuck, I'm done. Uh, can't wait for Charlie's debut. Matt, you said you got one more for me? I do. Buy or sell the James Harden diet. Okay, this was so blown out of proportion. <laughs> I know. I just I saw your because tweet about it, that James Hardy's. James Hardy's was, a, was, James Hardy's that was got good. Me, that got Everyone me. was tweeting, like, wrong, who is this wrong answers only? That, that, and then that started saying, That's like, why I wanted to bring it up. Uh, no, my, favorite one, my favorite one that I saw, though, was Michael uh, – instead of Michael Oluwa Candy – it was Michael eat all of the candy. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best one. But yeah, Harden came back looking a little thick with three C's uh, on Tuesday night, his debut for the preseason. I, I've, I've come on this podcast and said it before, Matt, like in covering the West Western Conference in my time in Sacramento, I was taken back by a few things, and one of them was just the tree trunk that is Big Boy. Harden. Always he has is, been. He's not the V-shaped super athlete. He is literally an oak tree. And when you put a little extra on that oak tree, it gets a little puffy. He had yeah. a couple shirts on once he once he came out of the warm-ups and, and onto the court. He still did look a little bigger than his normal playing weight, but he's been in Vegas. He's been in Atlanta. He's been partying with little baby. He's been buying little baby quarter-million-dollar watches. Uh, Why did you buy me a quarter-million-dollar You saw this, right? He bought no, little I don't see pop culture ba- stuff. For, for his birthday, he bought Lil Baby. Why do you say it like that? I don't know. Okay. But he bought Lil Baby a quarter million dollar watch and uh, gave it to him in a $5,000 duffel bag. The, the duffel bag was $5,000. The watch was like one hundred fifty dollars or $250,000. Was that one of those watches that o- 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 Odell was wearing, that brand? Yes, uh, okay. Richard Mill. That's it. Um, and then another $100,000 in the duffel bag. Also, a bunch of honey buns. Because a hundred thousand, I would just say, give me the honey buns. They call a hundred thousand dollars a honey bun. 
So it oh, was I thought you meant like was, the, the frosted honey no, no, buns no, no, you buy it, from the gas and, and there were there were actual frosted honey buns. So it oh, was yeah. a honey bun, some honey buns, and a Richard Mill. So uh, that was uh, that was his gift. But he was out partying. Is my point? He was out having a good time. He was out enjoying the shortened off season. I don't care if he weighs 260 pounds or 230 pounds. He's still going to give you 35. Yeah, he's still going to go get his. Um, only thing I got, just pro tip for James Harden, if you are feeling a little bit, if you are feeling a little bit <laughs> No horizontal lines. You have to, it's, it's come from someone who probably did put on a little bit throughout this quarantine time. Wear the tighter undershirt. All right. Okay. It, it, it masks a lot. I'm not talking some, about, don't go full skims. sleeves, but get you one of those, like those sleeveless um, you know, Under Armour type things kind of it, it just it tightens everything up, reels everything in. Matt, are you point. advocating for men's shapewear right now? No, I'm I'm just saying there's something to you know the, the dry fit gear you wear underneath. I'm not buying those Instagram ads and things you see on Facebook. Like, hey, just, is your gut massive? Wear this, I'm you look saying, skinny. I'm not saying there, that. I'm there just might saying, be an know, opportunity for sponsorship here. Men's shapewear. Who knew it was our it was our lane? Well, oh yeah, we'll do some talking. Anyone who gets us that sponsorship, we'll, we'll, we'll shout you out on the podcast. Oh, goodness, Matt. You got anything else for the people here? No, just can't wait to do my first read for Men's Shapewear. All right. We hope you enjoyed your uh, first edition of Loose Rooms Men's Shapewear presented by. Uh, we hope you enjoyed Phil Goff. We hope you enjoyed the Locks of the Week and Bears Breakdown. We enjoyed doing it for you. We always enjoy doing it here on the Loose Rooms Podcast. That's going to do it for episode 185. As always, hit us up on Twitter. Send us those mailbag questions. We'll dive into all that over the holiday season. We know there's a lot of culinary things to address. Mm. We know that there's a lot of family things to address. Get in the mailbag. Send us your questions. We'll break it all down right here on the Moose and Moose podcast. For Matt, I am Joe, and we will talk to you soon. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile. For every care, a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. <laughs> Chicken on the steak was phenomenal. <laughs>